Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike here today once again with Jack Kelly of Detroit Bad Boys. Jack, always a pleasure to have you on the show. No, as as usual, Mike, I love hopping on talking hoops with yourself. So, yeah, I feel like we've got plenty to discuss today. It's our first time recording with actual real basketball to talk about. So, yeah, excited to dive in. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, like all that said, let's dive right into it. So uh, we had last night's game against the Raptors, uh, which was interesting. Well, as people would say, I've heard it put the Raptors because they were missing like three of their top four scorers. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's been interesting, more interesting basketball lately, some frustrations, uh, some high points. And what would you say for you has been the biggest high point of the season so far? Um, for me, it's just honestly been seeing Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran, how they've panned out. Um, obviously, I think Ivey's been probably been better than we could have expected. Now, that's not without his faults. I think he's, you know, he struggled with turnovers, his pacing, three-point shots come and gone. But I think on the whole, you see the sort of player that we envisioned. You can see what he can potentially be down the line in terms of just his athleticism. Um, just even his passing has been one of the main things for me I've really enjoyed. Now, as I said, he has had some turnover issues, but I think the reads he's made, even some of the stuff in the pick and roll, I've just been pretty impressed with, um, particularly as we're only 15 games in. So I think um, Ivy's probably exceeded my expectations a little bit. And then Jalen Duran, I mean, I think we all expected this kind of player, um, but especially on his on opening night when he had that double-double against the Magic. I know that was a few weeks ago now, but yeah, just seeing those two and how they've already had an impact on this team um, and, just, and just that they're ready to go straight away. Um, so those two have been the main highlight for me uh, as well as, I, look, I've, Cade's been up and down, but I still think we've seen some flashes. Um, some of his stuff in the mid-range has been really cool. Um, and then, yeah, I think Bogdanovich on the whole was a really nice pickup as well. So. Um, yeah. And finally, I've really enjoyed watching Stu. As you know, I'm a big Stu guy, and I'm sure we'll get oh, into yeah. it a bit later. But yeah, I think Stu's having a career year. And um, yeah, I've been really impressed with him as well. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, I'll just go back to, all, all the way back to Ivy. I got to agree with you about him being a bright point. He's got his warts. And for me, like he's, I think he's got a top two ceiling in terms of offense in uh, in his draft class and in the lottery. I mean, I've... I've been very impressed with Boncaro, of course, who's, who's in a, definitely in a different situation, but has done very, very well. Like needless to say, has done very, very well. No, for sure. Paolo is yeah. almost so good, you don't even consider him a rookie. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've sort of forgotten he, that he's a rookie. Yeah, he's been surprisingly good. I did not expect him to be so good so, so good at this point. He is in a great situation for him. I mean, the Magic have, have some decent pieces. He gets to play on the ball and do whatever he wants, and I think that's the ideal situation for him. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I wasn't really hot. If the if the Pistons had gotten the first overall pick, I wasn't really hot on him because I don't know how you make he and Cade work together. But uh, it's neither here nor there. I think so. I think Jaden Ivey's got a top two ceiling in terms of uh, in terms of offense in his draft class. But it's going to take him some time to get there. He's still raw in some ways. In the meantime, it hurts a little bit seeing Matherin do so well. But you know that that just is what it is. But I agree with you on the passing. Totally, he's a he attracts tremendous gravity on the way to the basket. Every team, every defense he's been up against respects him a great deal. He always, always attracts help. And he's not like an elite passer, but he is very, uh, very willing to pass and often to find the open man. Yeah, for sure. I think he's driving kick game. I mean, 
even if without that in-between game that's clearly still developing, like he's just been able to blow by guys um, off the catch, like with at will. There's no, there's really not many guys that have been able to stay in front of him. So watching him drive and kick and being willing to make that pass to the corner shooter or drop off a pass to the man in the dunker spot, that's been really encouraging for sure. Yeah, definitely. And and of course, it's always a lot of fun to watch him play. Now, now one thing about last night, I mean, one thing that I continue to to think about is the fit between he and Cade. Now, there are a couple things to account for here. Number one, that they both have uh, things to work on in their game, uh, particularly Ivy, though definitely Cade with the shooting. Number two, they're operating under a coach and Dwayne Casey, who has his strengths in some areas. Unfortunately, running an offense is absolutely and utterly not one of those. And so uh, Ivy, whether it's Ivy or Cade with the ball, the other one ends up just typically standing around and doing nothing. Uh, it's typically Ivy because Kate is on the ball. So we just saw a, really a different aspect to him last night against the Raptors. It was really the first time he was allowed to be the primary handler throughout an entire game. Yeah, for sure. And we saw, I mean, the one thing I noticed, particularly in that first quarter against the Raptors, was the Raptors' length really overwhelmed Jaden. I mean, it overwhelmed the whole team in that first quarter. I think they had nine or ten turnovers, which is just, it's almost We're a game's it. worth. It's almost a game's worth. So, um, But it was really cool to see him adjust. Um, I caught up and watched the fourth quarter of that game, and clearly down the stretch, I think Jaden had 13 points and four assists in that last quarter and almost led the team to victory. Um, so to see him adjust in-game like that was certainly encouraging. and. I, just with the fit with Cade, I think there's still a lot to play out there. I think that can still be a really nice one-two punch, and they have a lot of complementary factors playing alongside mm-hmm. each other. Um, but I think the main thing I'm interested with those two is that you can stagger them, and you're always going to have a primary initiator on court with those two. Yeah, definitely helpful. I just feel like Dwayne Casey is not going to be the one to unlock uh, the the synergy between them. Dwayne Casey is not very good at getting the most out of any given player at all, let alone two players at once. See, I, mean, I you, disagree. You know, Are you talking really? about player development? No, talk- no. I'm, I'm, I'm talking okay. about on court and just on court, maximizing players on the court. Like last night I was watching it and I was thinking like, my goodness, how much easier would Jaden Ivey's life be if he were playing under a coach whose offense was actually able to create driving lanes, for example, and who didn't rely so much on one-on-one offense. And there's a tremendous amount of it. And that, that was a characteristic of Casey's offenses going all the way back to, you know, his entirety of his time in Toronto before, before Masai Ujiri said, we're not going to let you run the offense anymore and gave it to Nick Nurse and then Casey won coach of the year as a result. <laughs> so I, I just look at it and I'm like, okay, you have Kate and Ivy, you put them on the court at the same time under a coach who can actually run an offense that maximizes the both of them. And and then you might see something really special, but just for Ivy, it's like, imagine Kate attracting attention on the way to the basket. And then you've got the alt ball moving to get Ivy the ball and blaze through an open lane, something like that. Yeah, I see that. I think we've seen some of that though. Uh, I mean, I definitely, I'm not here to say Dwayne Casey's a offensive tactician extraordinaire. I think, Clearly, offense is in his strong suit, and I understand that. I still think we've seen, like, I think Cade and Jaden are clearly, they're players who want to dribble the ball. I'm not sure we've seen them do a lot off ball. Uh, I mean, I, I would like to, I've seen Jaden have screen set for him in the corner, coming off pin downs and attacking, um, yeah, getting downhill. Um, I think with Casey, sometimes, like, I, I, I definitely sort of agree with those points to an extent, but I still think these guys are so young and 
I'm not sure these players are ready for a high-level offense. Uh, I mean, I still think they're trying to find themselves in the league. They're trying to work on their individual skills. And I guess, yeah, at times it can be a bit ISO-heavy and you can hold that against Casey. But I don't necessarily think bringing in a, I don't know, an offensive tactician, it could help a little bit. But I also just think these guys need space to grow and develop. Um, I agree. At the same time, I mean, I'm not advocating that, that Casey be fired. It wouldn't make me sad. Uh, just I know it's it's not something that's likely to be a benefit this season uh, because I think that continuity is good and he is really, he is good with the young players without a doubt. And he runs a very good locker room. But uh, I just uh, I watch him coach and I've got bad coaching fatigue. I mean, like, <laughs> it, it, it's it's been going on for I haven't been watching for like all the last 15 years. I've been watching for you know for nine plus seasons and the Pistons have had a below average coach in all of those seasons. And I call Casey a below average coach. And in terms of offensive coaching, I think he's bad. I think Van Gundy was worse. I don't even want to think about Van Gundy. It was so frustrating watching the Pistons <laughs> when he was coaching. At least Casey I, is likable and not as bad. For sure. I think the players make the coach though to some extent. And I think Detroit in the past 10 years, at least since I've been a fan, have never had the roster to... And I'm not, I'm not going to stick up for Stan Van Gundy, but I also think because he did contribute to that roster itself, but we saw him have a ton of success in Orlando. So I'm not saying he's the greatest coach in the world, but I think the roster makes the coach to a certain extent as uh, well. Trigger alert. Absolute trigger alert here. All right, with the, we've got somebody defending Stan Van Gundy. So <laughs> I'll, I'll dive into this briefly, though I hate talking about the guy. Uh, I, I don't agree. I think, uh, yeah, back in his time in Orlando, he was an innovative coach. And by the time he got to Detroit, the NBA, like in his first couple seasons, the NBA was really only starting to evolve in the spacing and efficiency era. And by the time you got to his third season, I mean, I think he was hopelessly outdated. The guy, of course, was extremely rigid, disdained analytics, and and completely, in my opinion, utterly failed to maximize his players uh, just and focus much, much more on what he would like to be true than what was actually true. Like, for example, in 2016, 2017, playing like the crippled Reggie Jackson as the center of his offense for 50 games. But so I, I agree that, of course, a, a coach can only work with the roster that he has. But I think some coaches are just bad at what they do. And I think that I think Casey is a decent defensive coach. I think he's always been a weak offensive coach and even more so as the NBA has evolved. No, that's fair. I think with Casey, I'm nowhere near, like I've seen a lot of talk about fire Casey. And, I'm, and as you stated, that's not necessarily what you're you're arguing or putting forth. I think... It's also not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, happen. Th- that as well. I think his relationships with, obviously, Troy Weaver and, and especially Tom Gores are far too strong for him to be fired this season. But I think with Casey, I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt and give him some leeway until this roster can find some semblance of health. Um I mean, obviously, we had Stewart go down last night. Cade's out for at least another two to three games. So, I mean, it's just been hard. These guys, you know, you have Bagley come back, Burke's out, and then um, and now Stewart's out, and then Cade's out. It's just been hard to get. When you don't have that all-star player or that superstar player, injuries to key rota- rotation pieces just make it hard, mm-hmm. especially on a young team. So I'm willing to give Casey a, a bit more leeway for the moment. Yeah, I think at the same time, it's possible to have a to have a I don't want to call it a bad roster, but a roster that's obviously not going to compete. Uh, but also have the coach be bad at maximizing that roster, and I think that's I think that's the case with Casey, particularly you know particularly on offense. Now, there's been a lot of criticism of the switch everything defense, 
But I'd say on offense, he has a long track record of getting less than the sum of his parts where his players are concerned. And it's less that I think that this is a big problem at the moment. I mean, this team is not going to compete for anything, in my opinion. I mean, even with everybody back, I don't think this team is going to sniff the plan. You know, maybe I could eat my words, but it's just that the league has a lot of talent and it's currently very competitive. But I'm tired of it. I'm just no, tired that, of watching bad offensive coaching. <laughs> that That is fair. And, but I would just say, I, I don't know. How many wins did you have this team roughly winning prior to the season? I predicted 31, I think. I mean, it was just like I was I was recording an episode with another guest. And I said 31, he said 32. I don't know why 31 was the number that came to mind. But yeah. I, I thought that they could be a, a decent team. I did not expect them to make the play-in. Yeah, for sure. I, I had around 27, 28. And I'm, I, I think so we're pretty aligned there. I just think, yes, this team, the blowouts have been a bit disheartening. But I don't know. There's This team is in my opinion, a bottom five to six team easily in the mm-hmm. league with the talent. So, uh, I mean, I think Casey's just being used as a scapegoat largely. And once again, I'm not referring to you uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about just amongst the fan base because the expectations were probably set too high for most heading into the season. Um, and also, play, uh, like, players aren't just going to, you know, development's not linear. So, yep. I mean, Sadiq Bay taking a step back or having his struggles, Kay being up and down in year two. I mean, we saw Jason Tatum come in to LCA the other night and drop 41. It mm-hmm. took him to halfway through his third season to really start to break out just before COVID hit. So, yeah, I think expectations are probably a little bit high coming into the season. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not upset about the losses per se. I did not expect this team to win. I would just much, much, much prefer to watch the Pistons lose under a better coach and a more functional offense. So I don't have to watch it and be frustrated. It's like, for example, you've got like Marvin Bagley in the roster, for example, like we had that, we had the change in the starting lineup last night, which, you know, of course we should talk about, but you've got Bagley on the court and okay. Suddenly you've got a vertical spacer and at times he's been on the court with Jay Winduran. It's like, okay, you got two really solid vertical spacers, but Casey doesn't like wild plays. He just doesn't like it. He's rarely ever used them. I think when Bagley was, getting set up for laps last year was because Cade, I mean, Casey often lets like his premier players just do whatever they want to. And I think Cade was running those plays, but like these last two games, I mean, like Bagley is not, he's basically like left in the dunker spot and and not, he doesn't move. And like the scheme doesn't have him moving. He's not rolling hard for lobs. And we know that Marvin Bagley loves to roll hard for lobs and and to get high percentage finishes in the interior, which he's good at. And Casey, Casey doesn't do that. He runs an offense that, that doesn't prize that relies on a lot of ISO offense. Well, but I see, but you, like we did see Ma- Marvin Bagley as a role man a ton last season, and yeah, last I season, think, yeah, but, exactly. But I, I think, I think, I think that was, ba- that was largely with Cade, though. But Bagley's played what thirty minutes this season, and I uh-huh. think I, I, I know Linny's first game when he came off the bench, him and Duran together was just that was a car accident. I, they, oh, they're spacing, good. they, and to be honest, in that. Jalen Duran was being used as the role man when I thought you probably should have kept him in the dunker spot and used Bagley as the role man because they were just getting in each other's way. But I thought last night, from what I've seen, I thought Stewart and Bagley, their spacing on offense was pretty good. I mean, Stu was obviously on the perimeter. He hit a corner three, I believe, um, and then above the break. I actually, mm-hmm. you know, Marvin hit a three as well. I actually thought they didn't really get in each other's way. And... Yeah, I think with the lob plays, I think pick and roll, that is largely on the ball handler, whoever is bringing up the ball uh, up the court. Oh, I disagree with that. 
uh, like for example, you go back several seasons and uh, we had this one player whom you were a big fan of and I absolutely detested. You know, he was pretty, he was pretty tall. Uh, he liked to pad his stats and you like, for example, like, yeah, he just, he didn't get lob plays. Like uh, he had very, very few lob plays throughout, for example, like um, this was his last season. I remember the statistic. He just wasn't, it, lob plays weren't being run for him off the roll. Whereas the previous coach we talked about who I really disliked. I mean, he was getting, uh, he was getting lobbed the ball all the time. And you had some overlap there. I think even back in 2018, 2019, Reggie Jackson, same point guard he played with for a long time. You just didn't see Drummond. Shit, I said his name. Whoops. Okay. Anyway, um, you didn't see him. I'm not I'm not bad-mouthing him here, but uh, you didn't see him really get much in the way of lobs at all. So I think it's more of a schematic thing with Casey that these are just the sorts of plays he really doesn't like. And like in his old Toronto offenses, he didn't really involve Alan Junis all that much. Uh, he didn't really focus on getting bigs, high percentage looks under the basket. It was just a lot of ISO with DeRozan and Lowry. Yeah, that's fair. I, I do recall JV dominating the Pistons, though, back in the day. He oh, used to well, always in, dominate yeah. Drummond. It was like it was his one game of the season where he'd just go crazy in the post. But oh, yeah. look, I'd have to look into the numbers for the pick-and-roll stuff, but the fact we saw Bagley used heavily, heavily featured as a role man last season, if that's on, if we're saying that's because of Cade, then you also can't say it's on Casey. Well, let me do. You, do you see what I'm clarify. saying there? Yeah, let me let me clarify. So there are some players, and it's generally their veterans, the veterans on the team, whom Casey doesn't really coach, and I think Cade is one of them. He just says he basically just at least last season he did near the end of the season just let Cade go out and run a zillion pick and rolls and do whatever he wanted. And I think I think in that situation it was Cade calling the plays. I think that also some players, and this was the case with Jeremy Grant as well, have the latitude, whereas others don't. And I don't think that. Uh, like the, the, we don't really have one of Casey's go-to players of that sort at, at this point. So, uh, but it was also for a very brief period of the season. I don't know. I mean, I, I know that I'm saying one thing and, and not saying the other, but I think that was because of the latitude that Cade has. And I don't think anybody out in the court last night had that degree of latitude. Yeah. I would also say none of the players on the court actually have the pick and roll chops that Cade has. I think he's a pretty, even with his flaws for some turnovers and stuff, Cade has an ability with his height, especially to just sort of, he's an excellent passer. And I think Jaden in the pick and roll, while I've been impressed, it's more so been with his finishing in the pick and roll, not as such his passing. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, I guess maybe Killian does have that element to him with his pretty good passer in the pick and roll, but just with his, I mean, Killian's improved and I'm sure we can talk about him at some stage, but Absolutely. Um, with his lack of finishing around the basket and that sort of thing, his gravity in the pick and roll isn't great either. So I I take your point, while I probably disagree. Okay, one thing. One one thing we can agree upon, I'm sure, is that, for example, you've got Bagley, you've got Durant in the dunker spot. They could just cut hard to the basket for a lob while Ivy is, uh, is slashing in, while Killian is sort of slashing in. But the scheme has them just standing still, or it has them just around the basket where they're never going to get a pass. So like that aspect of vertical spacing isn't used. And that also wasn't used last season with Marvin Bagley. Yeah. I think and it wasn't, it wasn't used with Drummond either when, when, when Casey was coaching him. In terms of the players jumping from the dunk? No, just in, in terms, in, no, in terms of like just a, a, along the baseline, for example, just having those players schematically aren't used that way. Like just to have, and this, this was an issue I had with Casey back when Drummond was still on the team. He would rather just have one of those players packing in the paint or just kind of standing like a little bit outside of the lane and then going in for a rebound rather than have that player. And like, I think back to like an example, 
uh, I don't think too highly of Doc Rivers coaching, but how he utilized DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan, who just did a ton of cutting. Uh, you know, it was, you know, you had your, your three guys. I mean, let's say Blake Griffin was being used as the role man and DeAndre Jordan would just be cutting hard to the basket to grab, you know, to, to catch a lob or, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, like cutting from the dunker spot. Yeah, cutting from the dunker spot. Yeah, just cutting along the baseline uh, and, okay. and just leaping for a lob. And we never see Casey use that. I feel like that's really a staple for any big, for any athletic big who can play above the rim. And Casey never does it. Okay, I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for this because you brought it to my attention. Because I, I always see guys in the dunker spot and sometimes I, I note their activity. Sometimes I don't really pay attention. So I'm going to keep my eyes peeled, Mike. They're on the ground. I can tell you that much. And they're not moving very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just I think about Jared Allen, for example, who just gets like a, a ton of these plays where he's just finishing above the rim on offense that somebody else has created. Uh, but just off-ball movement, which you don't see very much with Casey, I feel like, in general. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, we got into protracted Casey discussion and like, you know, I, I'm not, it's just my opinion uh, and, and my fatigue over, you know, over how uh, I have a low opinion of him as an offensive coach, put it that way. I remember watching the Raptors lose in game four against the Wizards back in 2015. They were the third seed, I believe, against the sixth seed. They got annihilated. And I'm like, the Raptors have got to fire this guy. Like he has taken <laughs> them as far as he can take them. It's not going to get much better than this. And it you know, I also I just don't yeah. think those Raptors teams were. I think they overperformed in the regular season. They didn't have they didn't have a number one option on that team ever. Oh, I disagree. Who was the number one option? Demar Derozan. Demar Derozan. He's not yeah, a number so, one option on a championship team. He disappeared. Not on a championship team. He no, disappeared. He, he had playoff. Him and Kyle Lowry had historical playoff struggles. Um, I think they were never. I think the Raptors overachieved in the regular season or we're just a solid regular season team and got found out in the playoffs. And you could mm. say that's on Casey. You could say they just didn't have that number one option, that number one playmaker, jumbo side playmaker, like to lead them through obviously. And they'd come up against LeBron every year. Um, yeah. But the, but the third time they came up against LeBron, that was against the, we got a squad LeBron team, which was yeah. really pretty weak. I feel like the Celtics, you know, the Celtics were like, shooting like slightly better away from displacing them out of the conference finals and going to the finals against the Warriors, the Rockets. We could easily have had a Rockets Celtics final uh, final that year. So yeah, that was LeBron and George Hill. Yeah, I know. And uh, that team was not very good. And and the reason Casey got fired was he had the same playoff foibles, like of, of just having way too much difficulty being imaginative and especially adapting. Casey is very, very bad. I joke that he's very, very bad at adapting. I joke that he's a robot and they can only update his software between games. That's, he just really doesn't adjust within games. But the issue was that they blazed through the regular season on the back of a Nick Nurse formulated offense. And then in between series in which the Cavaliers came very, very close to losing to the Pacers in the first round and, and then came very, very close to losing to the Celtics in the third round, they ate the Raptors for lunch. And uh, yeah, so... Were those yeah, teams like championship caliber? Crazy. No, but I, but I feel like I feel like they underperformed in large part because Casey's a bad postseason coach, and their players weren't good enough. <laughs> I think their players weren't good enough to win a championship. But the issue is that they got their clocks cleaned by the Cavaliers. I mean, they won those two games in uh, in twenty sixteen, but for the most part, they just got destroyed. Yeah, and yeah. I even just, against worse teams, they 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 struggled. I just think I I. I Look, Raptors fans, they are they would know for they would know best out of anyone and you hear consistently adjustments and rotations with Casey. So I won't go against mm -hmm. what they say. I also just don't think their two best players were good enough. 
to surpass a player like LeBron James or take you further in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I mean, at, at the same time, you had uh, like you had a team in which Victor Oladipo is by far the best player for the Pacers, almost beat LeBron in 2018, and and the Celtics, who had like I think it was uh, J- Jalen Brown was in his second year, yeah. and Jason Tatum was a rookie. And Terry Rozier. <laughs> Terry Rozier, exactly. Kyrie was, for better or worse, the best player on that team, and he was injured. Yeah. And they still almost beat LeBron. They came very, very close with like a, yeah. Yeah, with a roster of, of two young players, Al Horford, who was very good back then, Marcus Morris, and Terry Rozier, I believe, was the starting lineup. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about uh, Dwayne Casey, I realize, for like 20 minutes now. We've gotten way off course. <laughs> so uh, why don't we go, uh, why don't we move on to, we talk a little bit about Duran, actually, who I, I feel has been very impressive on defense and as a rebounder, though he has the, he's had the struggles that I expected on offense. Yeah, for sure. I think Duran. I mean, after struggling a little bit, well, rebounding was a little bit of a concern in summer league. I think he still has some technical issues where he doesn't really box out, but just the sheer size and athleticism. I mean, his rebound, he's been off the charts. Um, and then the rim protection. I love how he does this like two-handed contest around the rim. I'm not sure if you've noticed oh, yeah. that. But even oh, when he goes to block shots. Yeah. yeah, I love that because it's just using every bit of length you have. Um and I mean, if you look into the rim protection numbers, I'm pretty sure he's at the top for defensive field goal percentage within like six percent, ah, uh, within six feet of the rim. Obviously, he is blocking shots. He's just a major, major deterrent. And especially after last season, it's nice to have a genuine rim protector um, in the lineup. And then on offense, he's he's obviously just done typical jumpy jump big man stuff like this offensive rebounds. Seen him. Um, catch a few lobs um i said i think he him as a role man something he needs to improve on a little bit i know we could say some of it's casey but i i also just think he's there's some stuff in when he rolls i don't think his pacing is good at the moment but i'm being pretty nitpicky here um and i think we've seen him he hit that turnaround jump shot the other night out of the post um yeah i'm really excited and have loved what i've seen from jalen so far He's fun on defense, definitely. He has the the biomechanic capability. And yeah, I, I actually talked about this a fair amount on last episode, uh, coincidentally. He has the this biomechanical capability to jump high with both of his arms fully extended upward, which not everybody can do. I mean, for your average person, you put your arms all the way above your head, you're going to have trouble actually getting much lift, but he's able to do it. So he's able to contest shots very well. So yeah, uh, yeah in terms of his rim protection, yeah, that's been helpful. He's He's about... Average, maybe a little bit below average in terms of percentage, like strictly at the rim, but he's definitely been very good uh, within six feet, like you said. Yeah, for sure. I, I was meant to say as well, one thing I'll be keeping an eye on is just his finishing around the basket. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I've seen him miss a few easy shots or just sort of rush. Um, and maybe that's because he's been struggling majorly from the free throw line. Um, but on the whole, considering many thought he'll be playing spot minutes, I think with what he's given the Pistons so far at his age of 18 years old. Um, yeah, I think he's been really impressive. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's exciting to see. Yeah, my concerns about him going in were, were largely around his touch around the basket, which I think has been kind of rough. Also, the free throw shooting hasn't been there. I've said it before, I'll say it again, that I think that's his only realistic point of failure in the NBA is if he either if, is if he cannot be like the highly efficient scorer they will need him to be. Any traditional center has to be around the basket. Yeah, for sure. And I'm really excited to see eventually. I'm not sure if it'll happen this season, um, but just see him utilized a bit more as a passer. Um, I'm not sure how that really 
sort of features in the offense, maybe on the short roll. Um, but yeah, I think there's some passing by making potential within him that could be really exciting. Yeah, definitely. And now a quick word from our sponsor. NBA fans, the NBA action is just getting started, and so are the incredible offers of DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets every team wins. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, total points scored, and more. For example, you could bet on any of the Pistons' upcoming games. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to go to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, so with that, uh, let's move on to Killian Hayes, who uh, has, has definitely seen quite a bit of improvements in the last few games. So what have you seen from Killian that you like? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think for Killian, it always just starts with the, the mindset and the aggressiveness. And I guess that feeds into his confidence. And I think, um, across his past five games after a historically bad opening to the season where I'd like to think I'm one of the more optimistic fans slash analysts of the team. And even I was thinking we were on the verge of a Killian Hayes being out of the rotation and who knows where that was going to end up. But to see him bounce back across his past five and average essentially 11 points, four rebounds, four assists on what I would call Pretty good efficiency for Killian of 43% shooting from the field and 33% from three. I think it's been really pleasing to see that. And I think we've seen him we've seen him get back into the paint, doing some of the stuff he did in preseason, um, driving by his man and actually looking to finish some floaters or these little hook shots he's been putting up in the painted area. Um, and then he's also been getting to a mid-range pull-up, which... At times, looks a bit rough, but it's been going in, so you can't fault him for that. And I think once he's scoring, that unlocks his passing. And then his defense is always on ball, um, always sort of stands out, particularly on this team that has mostly poor perimeter defenders, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, to see him thriving, um, especially after such a poor start, and even since being putting in the starting lineup, continuing to sort of play pretty solid ball, um, yeah, it's, it's. I was pretty shocked to be honest because it was looking it was looking scary there for Killian for a bit. Yeah, scary is one way of putting it. Definitely, I, he was he was really just doing bad. I mean, like you said, historically bad on offense. It was incredibly ugly. It's definitely been nice to see more confidence. You can't succeed in the NBA without confidence. Uh, I remember uh, complaining to a friend of mine long ago. Uh, this was right after Josh Smith had been waived. Oh, he was playing with he was playing for the Rockets at the time. And I'm like, I just hate how that guy is so sure of himself because he's terrible, just absolutely terrible on offense. And and he was like, Well, Mike, if you want to be in the NBA, you know, you have to have like incredible self confidence. Like you have to feel like, you know, I'm the man if you want to succeed. And of course, that doesn't mean being a ball hog and and playing hero ball and whatnot. But yeah, obviously confidence is key. You want to compete in the best league, uh, you know, I think the most competitive sports league in, in any sport in the world. And it's been good to see Killian with more of that. The mid-range pull-ups are good. That's a tough shot to make efficient. I don't know if he'll keep doing that. We'll see. He shot better from three. And, and he's been more decisive. But man, what I really want him to do is just drive into the teeth of the defense. And he's still not doing it. And I think that's a necessary step that he's still very hesitant to take. Yeah, for sure. I saw you tweeting about that, about him finishing and looking for contact. And yeah, maybe that's the next step for Killian. He's He's historically a pretty good free throw shooter, but he clearly just never gets to the line. And mm -hmm. I think some of that's just to do with like, similar to how Cade sort of struggles because they're not that 
level of athlete that can get up and absorb contact. I mean, in my opinion, those more ground-bound guards sort of struggle to get to the line. I know there's players like James Harden who have figured out a way to manipulate the reps into drawing contact and add the little tricks. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, I, Killian does tend to, and I'm not sure if this is a lefty thing, but he does tend to like always fade away rather than absorb the contact on some of those finishes. And that's something Dwayne Casey's spoken about um, in the past, not just this season. So yeah, that would be the next evolution for Killian. Um, he's I don't think it's trying. I don't think it's a lefty thing. <laughs> James Harden is a lefty. De'Aaron Fox, Zion. <laughs> I'm gonna go. So I'm gonna go with no. <laughs> yeah, no. I'll look. I'll take the L on that one then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I actually missed that. I, I didn't know that Dwayne Casey had spoken about that. I, I think it's just that Killian has never had to, to be a physical player up, up until he entered the NBA. I mean, you watch his tape in Europe. And, and he was fast and agile enough compared to the players he was facing that he just didn't need to do it. He was very much a finesse player. I don't know how much his injury had to do with his aversion to contact in the NBA, but, I mean, we'd seen so little of him up to that point. I mean, I think it was only eight games, and he had a very minor role. But I, I think it's just something you can't do without. I mean, I think, like, we saw him do it once against the Celtics. You know, he, he did a bit of a looping drive uh, from right to left. And I think he even finished with his, no, he finished with his left hand still, but he did it from very close to the rim and he'd attack the defense. And I feel like just, you got to do that. If you want to really break down opposing defenses and you really want to open up your teammates and you really want to score at good efficiency, at that high efficiency uh, offense around the basket and the free throws you draw. So, but he's not, he's still not willing to do it, which is a little concerning. I feel like that's something that can immediately improve his game. I've always felt that way. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, Hopefully, maybe it's something we might see now that he seems to have found himself a little bit these past week and a half. Maybe we'll see him because I feel like for Killian, once that confidence is restored, he'll start trying more things. Because we saw in that those first eight or so games, like you honestly didn't even know he was on the court offensively half time, uh, half of the time. Oh, we knew so, it was just incredibly <laughs> ugly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we know as Pistons <laughs> fans, but I feel like. Uh, fans from other teams watching probably didn't even recognize him on the court. So, I I mean, maybe with this confidence, newfound confidence, we'll start seeing attacking the rim um, with more intent. Um, but, yeah, on the whole, I think this past five games, it's been really... I mean, I'm just sort of happy for Killian because, I mean, the past couple of years, the Pistons, with their two top lottery picks, have taken players that play his position. So, clearly, mm-hmm. that can't be good for the mental psyche. I mean... You know, he'd be feeling a lot of pressure. Um, so just to see him get some reward, finally, um, it's, it's, I'm pretty happy for him in that sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's been good to see. And I've always felt that. I mean, I, I was a big proponent of the Pistons drafting Killian Hayes over over Tyrese Halliburton and, you know, even over LaMelo Ball at that point, obviously. Uh, you know, he'd have to improve a, a spectacular amount to be, you know, for, for those words to actually hold any water. Uh, but, you know, I've always thought, even as he struggled, that there was a good NBA player in there. You know, he just, he just has to manifest it. Another thing he could definitely do some work on is willingness, not just ability, but willingness to use his right hand. I don't know if you noticed this last night, but he went in, he got in good position, leaping near the basket to go for a right-handed layup. He swapped to his left hand and he got blocked. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. He's done that. He always, if he's driving right on the right side of the basket, he'll always finish with his left. And it just makes it, because he's got to contort his body to sort of face his shoulders to the rim. It just, it's like you said, that's why he'd be getting blocked because it just allows the NBA athlete that split second to come across and 
mm-hmm. yeah, deny the shot or at least put on a really good contest. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's got distance to go. Uh, I hope he can continue to build on what he has been doing. I do feel like he's always. I, I don't feel like like I, I feel like he's always going to thrive best in a role in which you can handle the ball a lot. I mean, how do how do you feel about that? Do you think that you know that just proje- what do you think your projection of Killian is if he's ever going to be a guy who can really play with play effectively with another player who's going to be on the ball a lot? I think uh, it feel, I feel a bit silly using this, but uh, I mean, I think he could be that. Lonzo type like I I mean I think though his best assets do come on ball and offense because of the playmaking I think it, there is a solid pick and roll ball handler in there and we've seen flashes of it um, but I think he can do a bit of both I mean obviously the, the three-point shootings the main thing that will hold him back from being an off-ball player but yeah his strengths as a player definitely come on ball and sharing the ball handling duties at least um, but I actually had a question for you on Killian um do you see him with the pistons do you see him signing his next contract with detroit or the likelihood of that so i under the circum such circumstances as he evolves into an effective backup point guard yeah yeah okay so uh backup point guards are in this interesting niche or, or players who re-sign with their team are in this interesting niche where they're good enough to be backups but they're not so good that it doesn't make sense for a team to just trade them or somebody else at a better, you know, more of a position of need. Of course, it depends upon expense, you know, cap hit, definitely. But Killing would need to fall really right in that interval, like good enough to be a backup point guard on a good team, but not so good that it's like, you know, we're not going to, you know, this this guy is, is good enough that maybe another team would, would give us something that would be commensurate with what he could provide to that team, but he can't provide to ours because we have our handlers already. So it almost, uh, it almost depend on him being good, good enough, but not too good. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it's really just pending his development. I mean, I'd love to see yeah. it happen because that would be a very successful outcome. But you'd almost like to see it, you know, even more that he's just, he's gotten good enough that it makes sense for the team to trade him. Exactly. That's, that's why it's so tricky. That's why I can't see him on this team, on his next contract. Not because Detroit don't want him or because if he become if his outcome, if he does become that good backup point guard, you don't want to have too much money invested in your all your money in your backcourt, like your finances, like you can grab veteran point guards mm-hmm. off the scrap heap, pretty easy for cheap. Like, I mean, people want to rag on Corey Joseph, but, and he's not what he was a couple of seasons ago, but you know, you can find these backup point guards everywhere. So I just see, because if Killian becomes good, then another team will want him and offer him a larger contract or, so I think the best outcome is probably Detroit able to get an asset back for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I would say the fact that presumably Cade and Ivy will continue to be on the team would also figure into the desire to not overspend in a backup point guard because you mentioned that we'll probably see a fair amount of staggering and that really reduces the you know reduces the potential impact of, of your backup point guard is always going to be on the floor with one of them or in the vast majority of situations. So uh, let's move on uh, to a final topic here. So the lineup change last night, which took Sadiq Bay out and put Marvin Bagley into the starting lineup. What were your thoughts on that? I liked it. I liked it from the point of view because that, that starting lineup needed a change. The defense was abhorrent. Like they were giving up felt like routinely 120 points. Um, and we knew it coming into the season that the perimeter defense with Bogey and Bay was just going to be essentially non-existent. And I mean, as good as Bogey is offensively, um, 
yeah, he gives up a lot in the defensive end. I mean, I've even seen between Bay, Bogey and Ivy, just some of the communication stuff on defense was just really killing the team. Um, and I'm, look, I'm not saying Marvin Bagley will improve that by any stretch, but I think this team needed help on the boards, definitely in that starting lineup. Um, that's been a constant issue. Um, and then in terms of, and I think Sadiq Bay, if, and I've said this to people in the, uh, like, yes, the two point percentage, that improvement is awesome. But when you're playing alongside Ivy and Cade, you need, you need spacing. You can't. So if he's not going to shoot, 36% on decent volume. He's going to be shooting around 30%. I just, with Bogdanovich in the lineup, it's just, there's too much overlap with him trying to score in the paint with Cade and Ivy. So I was happy to see the change. And I didn't mind, I think I touched on it earlier. I actually thought Stu and Bagley looked pretty good in those limited minutes together in terms of the way they spaced the floor and weren't really getting in each other's way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I think we spoke about this lineup in, in the episode we did about Isaiah Stewart before the season. You know, a lineup in which Stewart would be playing power forward on offense and Bagley center, and they would swap on defense. Because, of course, Marvin Bagley cannot defend the interior. <laughs> I mean, I think we can agree <laughs> on that. That's just probably never going to happen. So I agree. I mean, it was nice that you had Isaiah shooting well, and he's, he's shot fairly well in, in recent games. And I know both you and I believe in his shooting in the long term. Yeah. And, and Bagley was operating more on the interior. So uh, I liked it. Of course, I mean, Bay has struggled on defense. Bagley is not a good defender. You give up some spacing, uh, but just the fact that the rebounding was just tremendously better, like immensely better. Yeah, for sure. And like, I mean, that's been one of the things with Stewart. Uh, this season, his rebounding has been amazing. And I've loved on his offensive rebounding in particular. He started, I don't think he gets credit for it, but I call it the Tyson Chandler tap back rebound. He's become really good at that this season. Obviously, Bagley is always going to give you points and rebounds. That's just what he does. I think he only had five last night, but historically he's a good rebounder. Um, and defensive rebounding is part of defense. Um, I mean, it's really important that you don't give up second chance points. So, look, the thing with this this entire roster is no matter what lineup you put out there, it's going to be flawed. And <laughs> so I was just happy to see a change made because that perimeter defense had been a real sore point in the early part of the season and I mean that's why it sucks that Stu went down because I was really looking forward to just getting a five to ten game sample size of those guys playing alongside each other but I guess we'll just have to continue waiting for that uh, yeah and hopefully we'll find out that Stuart isn't going to miss much time I know I've I've really hadn't had such great things to say about Stuart so far in terms of his overall performance I know you and I probably disagree with that disagree about that but I do think that playing with the likes of Bagley helps to minimize some of his weaknesses on offense. Now, of course, if Bagley can shoot, you know, fantastic. I think that Bagley is going to need to need to need to be able to shoot the three-pointer in order to really have a future with the Pistons. Um, but and, and I don't think that Stewart's going to be the long-term power forward. But if at least one of them can shoot, then the Pistons can make it work. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, I think there's a starter within Stu, but also if he's not going to be the starter, if he's the first big off the bench when his team starts winning, I think he's going to be a a vital piece to this team, no matter what, going forward. Yeah. uh, You know, and when I said that, that definitely, I mean, I I know you and I agree about that, that I hope Stewart's on the team for a long time. Uh, But uh, yeah, when I, when I said, I think they can make it work, I more meant that it it can just be a functional thing this season. I I don't think it's going to be a long-term thing. Like, you know, if, if Bagley explodes into the offensive player, everybody hopes, hoped he could be, then, you know, fantastic. Then maybe you can make it work that way. And if Stewart can shoot well, though, I still, 
have, well, I was going to say I have my doubts about Stewart's uh, defense power forward, but he'd be defending at center there. So uh, let's talk about finally Sadiq Bey playing from the bench. What do you think about that? I think for the moment, it's a good chance for him to, well, it certainly leans into him getting those on-ball creation chops um, because I think that's been one of the major improvements for Sadiq this season has been him getting to the free-throw line um, as well as sort of just finishing it around the rim. He's never going to be someone finishing above the rim, but I've liked He's sort of changed up. He's been a bit more aggressive when he's caught the ball and just been quick with his decisions. He's had this little up and under he's developed in and around the painted area where he's either getting his defender up during the foul or getting his defender up and moving around him to finish the layup. So I think with him playing in the bench lineup, um, which with Alec Burks, Livers, some spacing around him, um, as well as Duran at the center position, I think it's a good chance for him to sort of regain his form potentially get that three-point stroke back because as I mentioned earlier without the the three-point shooting I don't see Sadiq as a long-term starter so I think if he's just going to be an efficient scorer from uh three-point line in then I think him as a sixth seventh man's a pretty good role for him and the team going forward I mean if you were to make the choice right now would you send him or bogey to the bench I think you had to send Bay to the bench. Bogey's shooting's been, you couldn't bench that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fair. I mean, you might think that, that Boyan does a lot more work. Like, I think a lot more than you and I had expected as a creator from mid-range. But yeah, I agree that there are merits to either side. Uh, one last thing uh, to discuss. Does it surprise you that the Pistons are currently leading the league in free throws taken per game? If you told me before the season, yes. But after watching the games, no, because they get to the line a ton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just can't finish them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's less than ideal. But uh, yeah, you've got. I mean, Burks has only been went back for a couple of games. He's not going to keep up six and a half attempts per game. But you got uh, you've got Sadiq Bay and Boyan at about five per game. Uh, Jaden Ivey coming just behind at four and a half. He's great at drawing fouls. Isaiah has been getting, I think, more just fed really well under the basket, yeah. and he's drawing fouls. He also takes the ball up super strong. It, it's interesting. And yeah, the Pistons are only like in the high seventies, but uh, that is. There's not something I saw coming. No, uh, and as I said, before the season, I wouldn't have guessed that. But when you have players like Stu and Bay getting to the line, I think they've both led the team at some point in free throw attempts um, throughout the year. So, um, I mean, those two getting to the line has definitely been unexpected for me. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Now you've Welcome got a, to now, Absolutely. Now they just got to shoot better than 32.7% from three. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Jack, it's been a pleasure having you on the show again. No, of course, Mike. You know, I absolutely love jumping on Talking Hoops with you, man. So thank you so much. Absolutely, man. Likewise. So again, everybody, this is Jack Kelly from Detroit Bad Boys. And uh, this is going to be it for today's episode. As always, thank you for listening. Catch you next time.